This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the river. Hope you guys are having a good day. Uh, you know what? Here's what I want you to do because I'm looking out and I see you guys work really hard this morning. Just turn to your neighbor and say, you look good today. I mean, come on. Some of us, we, we get up in the morning. We get ready for Sunday. You know, we, we put on our Sunday. So it's just good to be, you know, encourage one another, love one another a little bit. So my name's Joel. Uh, I'm a part of the dream team here. Our pastors, they had a baby recently. So they're, we're giving them a little break. So I'll be sharing a message with you today. If you're new here, we've been in a, a sermon series called Welcome Home. All right. Uh, and so we're going to continue in that series. This morning we have a text. Uh, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of ne- or, yeah, Nehemiah 1. We're going to read 1 through 4. We're going to skip to 11. Then we're going to go to chapter 2. Just just bear with me, okay? All right, here we go. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, Things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. I'm going to skip down to verse 11. Now I was the one who carried the cup for the king. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for powerful stories of grace and and commitment. God, I pray, Lord, that today as we hear these words, God, that they would just flow into our soul in a way that we can't let them go, that they change us on the inside out. And God, I pray, Lord, that today just be a day where we hear your voice so clearly. We ask this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right, I want to kick off today. I don't want to talk about superheroes. Oh yeah. How many of you guys like superheroes? Do you got heroes? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah. I mean, so you guys name, name, name a superhero. Batman. Ah, I'm glad you said that. Uh, this is pastor Michael, by the way, I was wondering, I was worried that someone would be afraid to share like, Oh, the trick answer is Jesus. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, is is that you go to anyway, Sunday school answer. Uh, yes, Batman. How many of you guys, you got like uh wonder woman, right? Yeah. She's awesome. Super cool. Thor ladies, anybody? Yeah, it's okay. Uh, uh, captain America, you know, captain planet. 
Anybody remember Captain Planet? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyway, that's a, he's like a side hero. But anyway, we love him. Uh, the Black Widow, Wolverine. The guy has knives for hands. I mean, come on. That's kind of cool. Uh, uh, Spider-Man. Come on. Dude got bit by a spider and got muscles. When y'all see me praying at the altar, I'm not praying for somebody. I'm praying I get bit. I'm like, come on. Like Spider-Man, let's talk about Batman, right? Uh, he was a millionaire with a sweet tool belt. Yeah, yeah. Batman's awesome. Superman, we're not going to go there. He's a freak, all right? Superman's a weirdo, okay? He's just, he's invincible. So we we like superheroes. We eat those stories up, right? If you think about it, like every movie that you go to see or you watch at home has some kind of protagonist in the story. Somebody who's a hero. We love those kind of stories. That's why we pay money to go see all these movies, right? We love this kind of story. And there's even, there's modern day superheroes, heroes in real life. You know, these are fictional. Well, I know some of y'all are like, wait, Batman's not real? No. I'm sorry. I mean, yes. I mean, anyway, we have real life heroes in this life. Uh, we remembered uh, September 11th and we, so many first responders and firemen who gave their lives selflessly to help people in such a difficult time. We have doctors, doctors who just, they, they work all the time to help you. And many of us have been, I mean, our lives, my life has been changed by the hands of a doctor. We meet in the school every week and this is a place of greatness because we have teachers that pour into this place every week and pour out their lives. They, they too are heroes. All right. Amen. Yeah. Let's get it. Yes. Teachers are heroes. And so we have heroes in our lives all around us all the time. What's interesting about a hero is that in a hero's life, there typically is a moment, a moment where they say, you know what? I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm no longer going to live for me. I'm going to do something different. I'm, I want to live. They risk everything for others. And a lot of times that moment starts a series of moments where every time they, they live their life facing decisions where they are choosing to not live for themselves, but live for others. And if we're honest, sometimes those, sometimes those moments are birthed out of very difficult times. Batman story, for instance, his parents get killed. And so out of that pain, out of that struggle, he decides to fight crime, right? You know, I mean, doctors I've talked to who, when they were kids, they lost a loved one and it, and it, it hit them so much. They made a decision. You know what? I want to be that person. I want to be that doctor. I want to, same thing with teachers. I've heard so many teachers say either a teacher poured into me, it was a good experience, or I didn't have a teacher who was going to help me. And so I became the person I needed. And a lot of times that happens when it comes to heroes. I became the person that I needed. And so they have a moment where they make a decision. And I want to kind of propose an idea to you today that you may have never have thought of before. Did you know that decision-making, the decision-making process is a spiritual experience. It can be a spiritual experience for you. Think about it. Instead of making a, having to make a decision, instead of a decision uh, driving you crazy, it actually can drive you to God. Think about it. Every moment that you're making a decision, you have an opportunity to reach out to God. For instance, I remember when I was growing up and I was a teenager, and I, I came to a church a lot like this. I would go to church every Sunday. I would hear the Bible preached. I would hear about what it means to follow God. And I, I remember the first time that someone offered me illegal drugs. I was in school. 
And I remember that moment very clearly because I was trying to follow God and someone, hey, why don't you do this? And I remember God speaking to me and he speaks in a lot of different ways, but I remember him speaking in my mind. And I remember him saying, who do you want to be like? Who do you want to be like? Do you want to be like him? And in that moment, I was like, I don't want to be like that guy. And so I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. And I, I would do that over and over in my life. I remember God speaking to me in that moment of decision. But a lot of times we hear from God so clearly when we're young. Those of you who've experienced God at a young age, you walk, you've walked with him for years, you know, like, man, I remember those days. As you get older, things get busy. <laughs> Amen. Things get hard. Sometimes it's difficult to hear from God when you are, you know, you're living your life as an adult. And I had an aha moment last year, and you guys are going to laugh at this, and I don't even know why I'm sharing this with you, but <clears throat> last year, uh, so I grew up, some of y'all are like, you were just a child. Um, but anyway, I grew up skateboarding, all right? Very avid skateboarder, okay? Yes, I was that guy, all right? Uh, skateboarded all the time, loved it. I still love it. Uh, and so last year, or I guess it was like a year and a half ago, when we moved to Watauga to be a part of the church here in this area, there's a skate park at the Watauga Community Center. Anybody ever seen it? You've gone by there? Okay. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to take up skateboarding again. Not good. I, I'm, I, I was, I'm 31. Okay. It's 30. Uh, so I was 30 at the time. I'm going to take up skateboarding again. So I got my board, went out to the skate park, skating around. Hey, I was crushing it. All right. I was, I was killing it. It was awesome. I was hitting the, I was grinding the rail up the, up the quarter pipe. This is skateboard language. Uh, and so anyway, we were, I was just doing really well. Okay. So I was like, you know, I'm going to take it to the next level. And so I got up on the highest part, the part of the half pipe that was the highest spot. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to drop in. It's going to be good. And I dropped in and I mean, I just hit the ground flat. I mean, I was just, just slammed right on the ground. I tried to catch all my weight on my wrist. All right. Almost broke my wrist. Ashley at Ragsdale had to tape it up. Erosti, come on. Well, what? And so I was like hurt and I had an aha moment. It was like, oh my gosh, like I'm 30 years old. And a couple of days after this happened, I had a job interview and I just realized, I was like, man, this could have really messed up my ability to get a job. This could have messed up my ability to provide for my family. I better tone it back a little bit. I better tone it back a little bit. And I've always been kind of a thrill seeker, but I had a moment now where I'm making decisions now that are a little different, okay? And in this life, as an adult, I'm, I'm seeing those more clearly now. There are decisions that I face that you face every single day, and in that decision, you have an opportunity to experience God, to hear His voice, and to help Him uh, help you navigate your life. So much of your Christian life ought to be yielding your ability to make decisions to God. And we don't do that all the time. We just do what we want. Remember when you were just living wild and you just, you didn't care. You were just making decisions. You remember where your life ended up when you were making decisions that were all about you and selfish, your life, you woke up one day and you're like, I am in a very bad place right now. Yeah. But when we yield our decision-making to God and in those moments where we're making a decision and I'm one of those weird people that I'm like, I don't see the harm in asking God where I ought to eat for lunch. That might be crazy. You might be like, that's over spiritual, but why not? What if God is interested? What if, what if he cares about those small things? I don't know. I'm just saying like he is interested in us yielding our ability to make decisions uh, to him. 
And so I think that in every hero's life, in every superhero's life, there's a moment where he kind of selflessly yields his ability to make decisions to not do something for himself or herself and does it for other people. And the biggest reason that it's so important that you yield your decision-making ability to God is because what you do affects other people. I mean, I busted my wrist at the skate park and made a fool of myself in public, all right? And it could have affected my family. The decisions you are making today can affect you, your family, your friends. It, it, every decision you make is going to affect somebody. And when there's a hero... Think about every hero that you can think of. There's also a villain. These are people who use their ability to make decisions to hurt other people. And listen, I want to challenge us today as the church. What does it look like to yield your ability to make decisions to do what's right instead of to do what's wrong? Are the decisions you're making in your life right now hurting the people around you or glorifying God and allowing him to pour out favor in your life? That's why making decisions and yielding it to God is so important. Are you guys with me? So important. And you're probably sitting here, if you're like me, you're like, yeah, those heroes, the superheroes, they're all cool and everything, but I'm just an ordinary person. (laughs) I don't have an awesome tool belt. I can't shoot webs, all right? I, I can't dodge bullets, all right? No, no, no. Well, you're in luck. The Bible is full of ordinary people who, when they yield their ability to make decisions to God, they did extraordinary things. Nehemiah, we read this passage. Nehemiah is one of those people. Um, he's one of those who uh, something happened to him and he decided he was going to act. He was going to make a decision. He was going to do something that was outside of himself. And that's what's great about when the church understands this concept and we start living outside of ourselves, uh, we start living in the life that God wants us to live. I'm not going to try to get too heady with you, but the Bible talks about us being born with a sinful nature. And we always, uh, you probably have heard me say this, we always talk about, you know, one of the biggest proofs for this is when you have a baby uh, and that baby decides to come out and say, no, steal from you, treat you, hit you, but you know, like all this kind of stuff. You're like, I did not teach you that. You know, inside of us, when we're born, there's a nature that is self-seeking. It's all about us. And it doesn't take you long to realize that. When God opens your eyes, you're like, man, I am a selfish person. That happened when I got married. I was like, oh my God, I am the worst person on the planet. Selfish. You know, it just, you have those moments in your life. Anybody? Yeah. Where you wake up, you see I'm selfish. That should be evident to you to know that we are born with a sinful nature. It's all about us. It's all about what we can get. It's all about how the people around us can serve us. When we come to God and we experience the grace of God, what he does is something incredible. It's a transformation. He gives us a new nature. And what happens is that nature inside of us that is like, gimme, 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 all of a sudden he turns it outward. So now we are about other people. We're all about other people. We've all seen people like that. People were like, man, that person is awesome. And they live in that. They live in that opportunity to say, I am about others. I'm not about myself. So let's talk about uh, Nehemiah uh, here for a minute. I do want to say this, like our Welcome Home series. um, Sometimes when you step out on faith and you decide, I'm going to be someone who serves and loves other people, you find your home there. 
Uh, I was like, uh, I was at a baby shower uh, yesterday and Pam Neighbors was there and she was hanging out in the kitchen, just chilling. And uh, I was like, hey, what you doing? Why are you hiding in the kitchen? When she's like, I feel at home here serving people. And I was like, okay, dang, that's awesome. You know, sometimes when you start serving people and loving people, you'll find a home there. You'll find this is what I was meant to do. This is where I was meant to be. If you ask me, one of my greatest joys in life is to be here on a Sunday morning and help our team set up, to help the dream team set up. I love being here. I love getting here early, getting the team here. Everybody's pumped up. We're having a good time. I love that. I feel at home when I'm giving myself away. And I pray that that experience happens for you in some capacity. And I hope that today is that eye-opening aha moment. So look at Nehemiah. We just read this passage, okay? And uh, the thing about... Uh, Nehemiah, he was a prisoner of war, all right, that we call him the rebuilder of the broken. What happened to Nehemiah was Artaxerxes came in and took over Jerusalem and took everybody as slaves. Nehemiah was one of those people. And Nehemiah was put in a place where he was the cupbearer. Does anybody know what a cupbearer is? A cupbearer is like a, it's like a bittersweet kind of job. Like it's kind of like, it's prestigious, but it's really not. Okay. So like, What his job really was, was when they brought the food and the wine to the king, he had to eat it first and drink it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Yeah. So if someone tried to poison the king, Nehemiah was going to kick the bucket. But what's crazy is this was the most prestigious position because you got to be near the king. You got to, you got to die for the king. It's a little twisted, but you, you hear what I'm saying. This was the job Nehemiah had. He was put in this position. And so he was close to the king. Nehemiah is attributed to be the person who rebuilt Jerusalem. Uh, A guy who was a slave, who was taken into uh, captivity. He is the one who brought vitality back to Jerusalem after it was taken over. And so so you see the story. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. We're going to walk through it. But you see the story, right? One day, a couple of his boys show up, all right? And he asks a question. He says, basically, how is everybody doing? How's everybody back in Jerusalem? And he gets, uh, he gets word that things are not going well. And it's funny because his empathy, what happens in his life, starts with that question. You know, sometimes when you want to be a world changer and you don't know where to go or what to do, this is a great idea. Start with a question. Start with a question. Show that you're interested in someone else. There's a guy that I work with. He's real quiet, keeps to himself. And, uh, you know, he might nod at you, maybe. Um, and he's just not, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything about the guy. I just see him every single day. And so anyway, I was in the bathroom this week and uh, that's weird. Uh, but I, <laughs> listen, okay. We we're washing our hands. Finish. Okay. So he's at the, he's at the uh, sink. I'm at the sink. We're washing our hands. Right. And I just say, this was Monday. I said, so how was your weekend? And with a straight face, he went, oh, it was pretty terrible. And I was like, oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. And I I looked at him and said, is that it? Like, you don't want to talk about it or anything? He said, nope, that's all you get. And he walked out of the bathroom. (laughs) I was like, dang, okay, all right, well. Like, literally, this happened this week. A couple days later, I'm I'm at my cubicle, and I have my headphones on, my little headset, and I like, I'm just jamming to music. And I'm just enjoying myself. Well, I don't, when my headphones are in, I don't hear anybody. I don't know what's going on around me. And I just kind of like lean over and that dude's standing right here. 
I'm like, oh, what's up, man? I put the headphones down, you know, and everything. He's like, what's up? And I'm like, hey, and I have a bunch of people that stand ar- who sit around me, and they know this guy is somebody who doesn't really talk a lot. And so he's just standing there, and I was like, what's up, man? He's like, this is where you sit? I was like, yeah, yeah, this is my space here. How's it going? And he's like, yeah, it's going good. Cool. I was like, all right, man, thanks. And he was like, all right, good to see you. And he walked away. I don't really have a climactic ending to the story other than, other than our relationship. I, I have a feeling, I have a feeling, and maybe this is God speaking to me that something's going to happen with this relationship. It started with a question. I just asked him, Hey, how's your weekend going? And I got shot down heavy, but the dude just shows up at my desk. When he walked away, all the guys next to me were like, what was that about? I was like, I don't know, but I just have a feeling that somewhere down the line, our relationship's going to grow. That maybe there's a way that I can help him. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what he's going through. I do know that he had a really rough weekend last weekend. And, but there's an opportunity there. And it started with a question. If you're like, I don't even know where to start to be a world changer, do what Nehemiah did and just ask the question. How, how are you doing? How are things going? What's happening? He hears that Jerusalem is destroyed. This was his home. This is where his family lived. I mean, this is, this was it. Every, his life was wrapped up in this place and he hears that it's been destroyed with fire. This is not good. And the walls were destroyed. And Nehemiah then is moved. I mean, he's moved in his heart. All right. He didn't go, how's Jerusalem going? And they're like, it's bad. It's been burned with fire. He's like, man, that stinks. No, no, no. This guy was like devastated. Like he prays, he weeps, he mourns, he fasts. And then the king, seeing that something was wrong with him, asks him about it. You guys, you're like, oh, they're like casual friends. No, this is the king. If the king asks you a question, depending on how you answer, you could die. Okay? This is how serious it is. You could die. So like the king asked him, you know, I've never seen you like this. What's going on with you? And what's great is he approaches the king with grace. The way he responds to the king is beautiful. He says, oh, hail the king. And then later he says, if, if, if you're pleased with your servant, I just, the guy was a slave in a foreign country. This guy had enslaved him, yet he approaches this guy with grace and with love. I can't help but think how often do we as the church, when the world that we live in, the foreign culture, the foreign land that we live in, spiritually speaking, when we're approached from the outside, how often do we uh, respond aggressively? Like we're going to teach you something or we're going to show you something or we get aggressive, we get angry. What if we approach the world that we live in with love and grace, regardless, regardless of how they treat us, we, we love them. Maybe more doors would open up in our lives. Maybe God would show us more favor. I don't know. I, I'm not saying it's a it's a system. I'm just saying in the life of Nehemiah, he approached the king, the guy who enslaved him and said, listen, all hail the king. I, I see where you're at. I understand where you are. I, here's what's going on. And the king responds, how can I help you? Wow. That's crazy. The man who has all power in his hand and the culture, the man who has everything, all the resources at his fingertips says, how can I help you? That was a God thing. And he presents a plan to the king, and they grant him the ability to go home. Nehemiah was going home. I want to ask you this morning, what does your home look like? 
what does your home look like? I'm not talking about the shiplap. I'm not talking about the, the chip paint outside the house. Your gutter's falling off. I'm not talking, what does your home look like? You guys are like, I know, we really got to do some renovations. <laughs> no, I mean, what does your home look like? Do you, you understand what I'm saying? What's happening in the life, in, the, in your life with your friends? What's happening in the lives of you and your spouse, you and your kids? That's the easiest one to see. What's going on? Is there brokenness there? Nehemiah was going to a broken home. He was going back to something that was devastated, that was destroyed. Maybe you're struggling right now. You've got something going on between you and your spouse, or maybe you and your kids don't have the greatest relationship, or maybe there's something happening. How is your home? And maybe you're here and you're like, my home's great. Like we're going to party later after church because we, we're all good. We also live in a, we live in a, we live on this earth. We live in a city that's broken, full of brokenness, full of hurt, full of pain. How is your home? The point, uh, the reason I'm asking you this is I want you, I want us to take a sober look around us, especially at our families, our relationships to see, listen, we're not the only ones. Nehemiah was going home to a broken home. And Nehemiah later does something very extraordinary. Nehemiah was going home to a broken city. He was an ordinary guy. And look what extraordinary things happen when he yield himself to God, yield his decision-making ability to God. We live in a country right now that's getting battered with hurricanes. We got hurricanes. And like it took every part of me not to show the video of that uh, that newscaster guy doing this in the news and those two guys walking by. Man, I wanted to show that video so bad. But we're getting hit with hurricanes. And uh, I've lived in Mississippi before. I actually moved to South Mississippi near Biloxi and Ocean Springs right uh, after Katrina. Some of the most incredible people that I've ever met in my entire life, I met in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Some of the most strongest people that I've ever met, I met in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. These people were people who, when they came back after the storm, they kneeled down on the on the pad where their house used to be, and they wept, and they cried. They lost everything. Everything their own, their their baby pictures, the home videos, everything they, they, they cherished and held dear got sucked out to sea. There was nothing left. I heard story after story after story of people who this experience, their home, they went home, and it was gone. It was devastated. It was destroyed. So I'd ask them, like, what did you do? Like, what motivated you to rebuild? What motivated you to help one another rebuild? Because down there, man, they help each other. You think that we're tight here in DFW, man, they help each other down there. If you need something, they're going to do it. The most giving people I've ever met. What motivated you to do it? Every time I, every time I talk to somebody, love. I was motivated, motivated by love. I was motivated to help my neighbor because I love them because I wanted to see us rebuild. I wanted to see uh, our home whole again. Man, I pray that all of us in this room would have that clarity that when we walk into a broken home, that what motivates us to act is love, is love. Nehemiah, like Nehemiah, you and I are going home. It's easy for us. Sometimes there's a disconnect for when we come into a church service like this, we hear incredible things. We're like, oh, this is awesome. I get amped up. I'm pumped up. And there's a disconnect between what happens here and what happens at home. And, and what God is saying to us is that it is time, if we have a broken home, we've got to engage our broken home. Let, let me, I want to talk more about Nehemiah for a minute. How do we become a world changer? 
how do I become someone who rebuilds the broken, who is a rebuilder of the broken, someone like Nehemiah, a hero, a legend? How do I become that? What's interesting is in Nehemiah's response in this text, he gives us like the perfect playbook, perfect playbook. I love it. Let's just take a look at the text again. All right. The first thing that he does, uh, he says this, look in the text, says, I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, he identifies a need. He says, oh my gosh, there it's devastated. It's broken. What are the needs around you? What are the needs in your family? What are the needs right now? If you're like, man, I need, I need my relationship with my spouse to be mended. What are the needs in your city? We've got refugees pouring into Watauga. We got to help them. We've got a school that we're connected to and there are kids in here who have broken homes. We need to love them. You have to identify a need and Nehemiah identifies a need. How do you know that God is leading you to do something? I feel like I'm asking a lot of questions. How do you know God is leading you uh, to do something when you're moved, when you're moved by something, when you're shaken to the core, when you're filled with compassion? Typically, that's the best indicator. What moves you? Have you ever had a, we have a, a girl here at the church. Her name is Natalie Powell and she graduated with a degree in speech pathology. And, you know, if you talk to her and you talk to her about Africa, Oh, this girl is moved. She believes and knows that God has given her this opportunity uh, to love people and to give a voice to the voiceless. And she's moved by that. You, you, you're probably going to have a, a long conversation with her because she loves it. Have you ever talked to our pastor, Mike, about church planning, about building a community of believers? Me and that joker can talk hours about that, okay? Listen, we love it. We're moved by that. This right here, we get excited about what God is doing. And so we love to talk about it. What moves you? We have this, uh, this girl who came to speak at our, uh, my community group. Her name's Eureka and she manages, um, a, uh, a shelter for kids and kids who've been displaced at the border. And when she started talking to us, she's just weeping. She's talking about the lives of these kids and how she wants to help them and how she knows that God put her there for a reason. Man, when you talk to someone who's moved by something so much that they act, I'm tell you, it changes you. What moves you? What moves you? What gets you excited? Maybe you get excited every morning to go to work and you're pumped up and you're excited. Maybe that's where God is calling you and leading you to make a difference. I don't know what it is for you, but what moves you. What moves you? We've got so many people that serve on the dream team and kids ministry who that is their passion. They love to serve the kids at this church. And that is what they, they're thinking about it through the week. They love and want to do the best to tell and teach your kids about Jesus. Man, just talk to them. What moves you? What moved you? Nehemiah is moved. The second thing that Nehemiah does is he weeps, he mourns, he fasts, and he prays. It says, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God in heaven. What Nehemiah did is he he identified the need, and then he took it to God. Why did he take it to God? He took it to God because you don't actually have the power to do it. Nehemiah didn't (laughs) The dude was going to go home and rebuild Jerusalem? Like if you told me today, like your whole city is destroyed and you, and, and it's bad. And I was like, I need to go home and do it. There, there's no way I'm going to do it. 
There's no way in my head, reasonably, I'm going, I can do this. Nehemiah knew that he had to take that need to God in prayer. He mourned. He fasted. He prayed. What is it? If you've identified a need that moves you, your next step then is to take it to God and say, God, I know I can't do this without you. I know I can't make a difference without you. There's no way in this life that you're going to be able to do those extraordinary things that God is calling you to do if you don't have him, if he is not the source of life for you, if he is not your motivation. And so Nehemiah does that. Man, it says for days that joker wept, mourned, prayed. He was broken. God, I need you. I preached um, last uh, this summer at a youth camp and uh, I've been able to speak at a lot of like youth camps and stuff. And one time I had a kid walk up to me and he said, uh, He's like a teenager. He's like, what do you believe about fasting? <laughs> and I'm like, what kind of teenagers are sitting around thinking about fasting? You know, I'm like, man, okay. So I try to be like Jesus. You know how Jesus answers a question with a question. I said, what do you believe about fasting? And uh, he said, well, let me tell you what happened. And I was like, okay. And he told me a story about how he and a group of kids at a school got a little prayer group together. And they decided to, they found a room that a teacher allowed them to pray in. And they actually fasted one lunch a week. And they took that time and they went into this room uh, and they prayed. And they had a list. The guy had the list with him. Like he pulled the list out and he showed me a list. I'm talking, it was like multiple pages. Lists of things God had answered in their group when they fasted and prayed. I was like, man, I wish when I was a teenager, I was in the prayer closet fasting and praying like this guy. I'm talking this guy, th- these kids were killing it. You know, for those of you who are in here who are young and maybe you're in your teenage years, listen, you're never too young. You're never too young. I was just, I was blown away about how these kids understood fasting to the degree that they were willing to sacrifice their lunchtime and pray. Maybe you've identified a need. Maybe there's something you're passionate about. Now it's time to take it to God because you can't do it on your own. Mourn, fast, weep, and pray. The next thing that, uh, that Nehemiah does uh, and I'm going to fast forward in the text because we didn't read it in the text. Um, but if you read ahead, he gets people together. This guy goes home. And he has a very detailed plan, but he gets all these people together. He actually, if you look in the scripture, he goes back to Jerusalem and he gets families. He says, all right, this family, you're going to rebuild this part of the wall. This family, build this. This family, build this. He got a ton of people together. A ton of people together. Listen, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you're driven by, you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. You've got to work together. In order to accomplish something extraordinary with other people, you have to work together. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. Last year, we did what we call our 10 for 1 event. Have you guys heard of it? Man, it was awesome. It was awesome. What it is, this is what it is. We have a 10 for 1 Sunday where for every person that comes to the river on this certain Sunday, we, our church gives $10 to a certain, uh, a certain need. So last year we got connected with the school. We talked to the counselor and she said, we said, what do you need? And she was like, you know what? We have some world changers here at the school, our teachers, and we need their teacher. We need our teacher lounge renovated. They pour out in the lives of kids every day. We want to pour into them, give them a place where they can rest, relax, Come on, somebody. And so what we did was we raised some funds and we worked together to go in there and renovate that teacher's lounge. And if you haven't seen it, it's incredible. Not only that, uh, we, we cut a video. We're, we need to show that video. I think we will. Uh, I want to show you guys that video of their reaction. 
I got to shoot the video. I'm, I'm with the camera and the teachers are coming in. I'm talking, it was a party. It was a party. And the joy, the ability to be able to bless somebody, to bless the world changers at the school through our 10 for one event. We couldn't have done that alone. There was no way. I mean, it would have taken years for me to do what happened in there. I'm just saying, when you see that room, you're going to be like, wow, it looks like, man, it looks like Pier 1. I don't know. It looks like Ikea. It looks incredible. And I was just like, before it looked like a hospital room, and now it looks great. So, like, there was no way I was going to do it alone. We did it together. We came together. Let that be an example. When you get passionate about something, you want to serve somebody, like we wanted to serve these world changers, you can't do it alone. you got to have somebody. you got to have that support system. Also, that's why I, that's why I'm here every Sunday. I work a full-time job and I believe that God's using me in that space. I can't do it alone. I got to get around people who love and support me. I got, I got to allow you guys to motivate me and help hear the stories of how God is using us collectively. That's what you need. You have to do it together. You can't accomplish it and you can only accomplish so much more as a team. The last thing, and I'm probably going to end our time with this. Nehemiah created a plan. He created a plan. Did you notice that when the, the king says, he starts asking some questions like, here's, what do you need? And, All right, well, when the king asks you, what do you need? You better have an answer. You know, you can't be like, well, I don't know. Yeah, we got a th- key. You better have an idea. All right. And then they're like, how long are you going to be gone? You know, well, maybe Thursday. I don't know. No, you better have an answer. And Nehemiah had a plan and an answer. Fast forward in the text, you'll find that that joker broke it down to like how much wood he would need. Every little detail, every little piece, every stone, how many people he needed to do the job. This guy had a plan. There was no way without God and without a plan that he was actually going to rebuild Jerusalem. There is no way. My question to us is like, how do we think that we can fix our marriages, we can fix our families, we can fix the broken city we live in without God and without a plan? Amen? Like, we have to have God helping us, supporting us, loving us. We've got to understand what true love is in a relationship with Jesus to be able to love people. And we've got to have a plan. We've got to have an idea, not just a general plan, a specific plan. After verse 6, Nehemiah goes into his plan. It wasn't general. It was specific. So I want to do something very different today. I'm not sure that we have ever done this at the River Church. Are you guys ready? Are you nervous? A little nervous? Okay, listen, it's not going to be scary. What we're going to do is inside your worship guide this morning, when you walked in here, inside that worship guide, you saw a sheet of paper and it said, my plan. What I'm going to ask you to do, and if you don't have one of the sheets, we have John Ragsdale, our ushers here. They're, they're going to offer you a sheet. If you don't have one, you can just raise your hand. If you don't have a pen, go ahead and raise your hand. We want to get you one of those. What you're going to do this morning is you're going to actually write on that sheet of paper five things. You're going to write five things, five steps that you're going to take when you leave this place. Remember, so many times we come in here, we get inspired, and we leave, and we're not people of action. Last week I talked about it's one thing to know something. It's another thing to actually do it. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want you to write down five things that God is moving you to do that is outside this building. Five things. We're going to put a timer up on the clock, not to freak you out or scare you. I just want to make sure that we honor your time. We're going to give you five minutes. This is just the beginning, people. You're going to write down five things, and they can be general, specific, but I want you to work on this plan. I want you to work on it. What is God asking you to do specifically 
Maybe you right now, you're analyzing the need in your life. You're like, you know what? Me and my wife aren't as close as we need to be. Me and my friend, our, my friendships are not strong. Maybe, uh, there's a need in my city. There's a need here at the school. What are the steps that I'm going to take to meet that need, to be a world changer, to step outside of myself and be the hero God's calling me to be? What is that? I want you to write down five things. Leave some space around it because when you leave, I want you to get specific with it. But five things. All right. Starting now.
want you to take that plan. Take it in your hands. Just take it in your hands. What I want to do is I want to pray. I want you to pray for this plan. Remember, the only way that you're going to be able to change the world that you live in and be a rebuilder of the broken, and the only way that this plan is going to be successful is if you truly, truly give it to God, that you allow Him to help you accomplish it. So I want to pray because I really believe that some of the things that you wrote down, and again, I don't know what it is. I don't know how general, I don't know how specific, but I do know that if you wrote it down, chances are God is speaking to you about that specific thing. And so today, I'm, I'm praying that, that from this day forward, that you start making steps, selfless steps, to love someone, to repair the broken relationships, to, to be an agent of change in your city. Whatever it is, whatever's on this plan, I want you to keep it. I want you to keep it in your Bible. I want you to keep it with you. I want, the, I want you to check back with it and see how you're doing. How, how am I? Am I actually living out what I feel like God's calling me to do? This is yours. But what I want to do is I want you to pray over that, and I want to pray over you guys as well. I want to pray over these plans that from this moment our church will be like Nehemiah, the rebuilder of the broken. So let's pray. God, I thank you that we're able to come into a place like this and experience you. God, I'm glad that you are a God who's interested in our decision-making process. God, I'm glad that you are a God that is interested in our practical ability to plan. God, I'm glad, God, that you are someone who cares about us so deeply. And so, Lord, I pray that our church right now, the plan that you have given us, the plan, the ideas that you've given us to put down on paper, God, that this not just be a piece of paper we throw away, a plan that we let go of. God, this be a plan that we pursue. Why? Because you gave it to us. God, I pray that I pray that the relationships um, that are mentioned in these plans, God, I pray, God, that you mend those relationships. God, I pray that the challenges that are popping into our minds right now, God, how can we accomplish this? God, I pray you make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. God, help us to lean into your presence, to love you, to know, God, that you are guiding us and walking with us. God, help us to one, uh, to help one another. Help us to realize that we're not supposed to live this life alone, that we need the church and we need each other. God, I pray from this moment forward that the plans that we have made, the plans, God, that you've given us will come to fruition. Help us to live selflessly. Help us to pursue love. Help us to pursue you. God, help our church as individuals together be that agent of change we want to see in the world. God, help us to act, not to just know. God, we love you. We thank you in Christ's name. Everybody said.